This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Monday Distillery. Monday Distillery is a new age beverage company revolutionising the way we look at having a night out with friends. They make sophisticated, non-alcoholic beverages that are sugar-free and full of social graces. Now you can enjoy a good time, love what you drink and love yourself the next day too. Stay high in spirits, keep a clear mind. Cheers to Monday. Are you sick of feeling controlled by alcohol? Do you want to drink less? Do you wake up on a Sunday morning feeling really anxious and full of regret? I'm Danny Carr and welcome to my podcast, How I Quit Alcohol. Hi and welcome back to How I Quit Alcohol. Today in a Zoom room, I'm super stoked to be joined by the awesome Paul Alessio. Hey Paul, how are you? Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Oh, thank you so much for coming on. So Paul is a partner of Juliet Lever, who I've had on the podcast just recently, who she is just incredible. I had the most incredible chat with her yesterday. What a beautiful, beautiful human she is. So you're a lucky guy. Yeah. <laughs> She's fantastic. So like Juliet, you're also a life coach. You're a hypnotherapist. You teach hypnotherapy to people, you a personal trainer, and you work and you've also worked with people with addiction. So that's really what I wanted to talk to you about today. Um, so you kind of wear many hats. Yeah, well, it's all naturally sort of emerged in what sort of, um, I'm sure at one point we'll talk about my story a little bit. It kind of was stepping stones and each little piece all came together and how I work with people is just sort of led me to the next step. And obviously what I needed for myself in my own sort of personal evolution, um, mm. each sort of thing naturally emerged. Yeah. Could you tell us a bit about your journey? Like you were telling me a bit cool. about it yeah, before, so but you'd like to share that. Around sort of the this, this things that we were sort of chatting about, like in my late teens, um, I kind of, I don't know, like a lot of people were struggling with a few different things that transitioned between like the end of school and mm. like real world. Um, my family was a pretty tumultuous kind of dynamic. My mum and dad separated when I was younger. My stepdad and, and my mum got obviously married and then had another group of children. So it was like me and my older sister, and then um, my younger brothers and sisters. And so the family, my sister moved out and I was kind of like the older brother that kind of looking after everyone. And then there was a whole heap of really interesting dynamic that started happening with, um, you know, the, the scenario of the, the family dynamics. Obviously everyone's got a different family dynamic for me at the time. My stepdad was a really influential person in terms of, you know, and some people may perceive it as a negative way. Over time, I've learned a lot from those situations, but, you know, it was a lot of mental and physical um, and verbal type abusive type stuff that was happening. You know, mm. some people might call it that. And that created a, a real scenario of, you know, a bit of chaos at home, you know, never really feeling safe. And then obviously school, my first real relationship sort of had came to an end. And I kind of, you know, that threw me into a bit of an emotional sort of spiral and just, you know, trying to be around friends and, and things and do what they were doing at the time and hang in with the cool kids and, you know, 
you know, try to find who you are and not really know what that is if you're not doing what everyone else is doing. So mm. basically, you know, alcohol, you know, weed and all those other things were a big part of that sort of journey in those early years and created, along with the outside world, a real internal chaos that was going on for me. I started getting really bad physical symptoms. I really had bad anxiety, panic attacks, um, had really bad digestive issues and, you know, started getting irritable bowel syndrome and all these sort of issues that started building together. And um, over time, pretty quickly, my internal fears and doubts grew bigger and my world grew smaller. So uh, I basically started being more afraid of doing more things. So as my fears and concerns inside happened, I started having, you know, anxiety attacks, panic attacks when I'd go places and do things. And so I shut down the outside world a lot and got to the point where I couldn't even leave my bedroom at some points. Mm. And um, it really, really became an interesting uh, reality for me to live in. And, you know, it sort of got to a point where one day I had just finished high school and I was working, you know, in a part-time job, which I didn't really like, and then got a full-time job, which I really didn't really like, because I was just doing whatever the next thing that was there was. And I got to the point where at work, I was having really bad panic attacks, even blackouts. I couldn't even remember what was happening. And, um, you know, just that much mental stress, my brain completely shut off. And then there was one night where I was just trying to leave the house to go to my best friend's house. And I was still living with my parents at the time. They had moved out. And I got to the front door several times and couldn't even open the door. I was so afraid, so scared. And I turned back through the hallway, um, sort of defeated. Um, But I don't know if you guys are like what I do in South Australia. We leave the lights on when we're about to leave the house. And so the house was lit up. And as I was walking back through the house, I thought I saw someone in the hall, like at the end of the hallway. But as I turned to look, it was just a mirror. And it was just myself in the mirror that looked like an intruder. And I was like, oh, well, that's me. And I'd grown so disconnected from who I was in the mirror like I looked at myself and I couldn't even recognize myself so I don't know if anyone's listening's had that moment but the combination of all the mental stress the you know the things I was doing on the weekend and some nights to cope with all that mental stress I basically had lost like had an afro anyone that can see me right now I've got a shaved head but I had like a bit of an afro going on a huge beard and I just looked at myself and I couldn't even see myself in in myself anymore and I sort of made myself a promise that night that I'd do whatever it took to number one, find out what was going on with me and do something about it. Cause I had gone and seen doctors about like what was happening with my body. And they never asked me what was happening with my mind or my, my emotions. They just wanted to stick tubes in me to kind of find out what was going on, but nothing ever really about like, how was I doing? What was I thinking and feeling? How was I coping with that stuff? And I think the world's got a little bit better since then, but at that mm. time it wasn't really like that. And so I just basically got out of the room the next day and found myself in a place called uh, the Civic Park Library and I stumbled across some books and um, found a lot of things about what I was going through and then that just switched my mind on about what the mind-body connection was all about and I just have been pursuing that ever since and every time I learned something new and applied to my life it's helped me and then I do that for a living helping other people as well. Wow, what an absolute trip. Yeah, that is so scary to think how disconnected we can become from ourselves just from all that stress and not yeah. being um, really in touch with what's actually going on and what's even how that manifests physically in the body. Yeah. Well, I think it was a combination of everything. Like obviously the partying and stuff on the weekends to try to get rid of the stress was making it worse. And then my body was in a huge stress response. And then any little pin drop on the outside world would magnify and reverberate inside of me, which would then make it even more escalated. So I think it was that combination of, tipping out how much the body can handle and tipping out how much the mind and my emotions could handle. That mm. just started me in a spiral. Was anyone aware of what was going on? Like mum and dad or, or mum and um, stepdad? They, you know, had their own stuff going on a lot of times at home. So home wasn't really the place where people would have noticed that much. I think like I was pretty withdrawn and quiet and like living in my own room, like a lot of teenagers kind of do anyway. But I think a lot of my friends noticed that I was getting a little bit edgy and like, you know, just a bit more direct, a little bit more edgy. Um, and that I wasn't doing things and going out as much as I would have been. So like just retreating, like I said, as my fears got bigger, my world got smaller. So just wasn't showing up to things and weren't connecting with friends and family. Like, uh, like I said, I couldn't even get to my friend's house that was living down the road. And so they'd be like, well, why didn't Paul shop again? So, you know, that would probably be a thing, but I was afraid to reach out. And I think a lot of people just don't know how how to deal with the thing. And I think back then it was a bit more, frowned upon or a bit more unheard of for people to be talking about these kind of things and having a safe space to bring up how they're feeling. I think, you know, in the last decade plus, the world has really jumped leaps and bounds in 
making it okay for especially young men to bring up how they they think and feel but back then it was kind of like well I don't know how to deal with this I don't think anyone else wants to know about it so I just didn't really say much especially to especially when you're young and you don't even understand yourself what's going on I remember the first panic attack I had I was probably 15 and I'd been pulling cones at a friend's mum's house Uh, how lovely is that I was probably maybe I was 14 and it was hydro and I remember just going whoa I had it I had it and I'm like something's going on something's wrong and I, I just knew I had to leave this house and on the way home I start I was like tripping I swear to god I was tripping and I ended up getting into my mum and dad's bed when I got home and I could like it was like I could see people standing above my grave saying the Lord's Prayer I was full on like it was yeah. like I was hallucinating and my heart was racing and I remember saying to my mum you've got to take me to the hospital I think I'm going to die I'm dying and then after that it just set off this chain of events where I was too scared to go to sleep at night yeah. and I, I same as you I got scared to go out of my my room for like a year this went on and I just didn't know what was going on luckily my mum she's had panic attacks she said you're having a panic attack that's what's that's what's happening um and same thing just having to give myself the knowledge to go okay and it went on for years like I've probably only since I stopped drinking have been able to really get a handle on it and I really haven't had a panic attack since but I'm so much more in control of my mind and I can say to myself it's just it's just your mind Danny you're not going mad you're not going to die it's so scary the fear feels so real doesn't it when you're in it it's like a, a feed forward loop your body doesn't feel safe. So your mind starts searching for the, why am I not safe? And if you're in a state where you're altered by alcohol or drugs and you you start tripping, you start looking for things that make you even more not safe. You go, why am I not safe? Oh, it's this or it's that. And because our mind can create it, we start going, well, that person looks a bit sus over there. Maybe they're going to get me or, and that's what I was having. A lot of my panic attacks were around, you know, people and places and is this safe for me? And so then my body would feel less safe and then it would start a cycle. And what happened, I think maybe for you, but definitely for me is when you're in an emotional state, like a panic attack or especially a highly elevated one, it's very easy for your mind to then generalize and associate what's going on to that. So the places and the things that you're doing can then be triggers for that panic attack that got started because of a you know drug or alcohol experience. And then later on, you go to the same location and it's triggered or the sound or a person's voice or you know a smell of something that was, you know, that happened when you're in that highly emotional state gets linked in the nervous system. And then you get triggered by these panic attacks that are, you know, just anchored or you know connected neurologically because of that heightened state of emotion. And then, you know, someone says something, you're at that same place again and it gets fired off. So that's what I think really happened to me. I just started connecting more places and more people and more things to those really, you know, stressful and unsafe feelings in my body. And that's why the world got smaller in in my reality for a little while. God, isn't it scary to think too, what if you didn't go to the library that day? What if you didn't go and get the knowledge? You could have had a like complete nervous breakdown or, you know, you might have been here at the library. So like I kind of glazed over the story a bit because it was gone for a while, but I'd, initially said to myself i'm just going to get outside whatever i'm gonna do tomorrow just get out of the house do something so i went to a a place that's kind of near a park um where i used to live in in south australia and i went there and there was car parks full of cars so i already started having a panic attack because what i wanted to do there was just people everywhere and i was like really afraid of people at that point um so i didn't park there i drove up and found another park car car place to go and i started walking to the park and it was full of people again there was like some concern or something going on i didn't know about this at the time so i didn't end up where i thought i would i went down a different path and ended up in a library and as i walked into the library i was already like nervous and anxious but i realized that everyone was doing their own thing no one cared about me it was kind of a safe spot for someone that was in a weird state like me anyway because no one wanted even cared i was even there and then when i was there I started breathing and relaxing a little bit, which is vital when, when you're in a panic attack. And I started thinking, okay, well, it's safe here. What am I actually here for? What can I get from this place? And I actually started looking for things to help my ex-partner at the time because she was going through some stuff too. So I went through and found books in the psychology section about what she was going through. But the book I found was about, um, she was like did a bit of self-harming and stuff like that. Um, and so I was really worried about her and how could I help her, which most people do first. They care about helping other people more than themselves. And then the next chapter of the book was about irritable bowel syndrome. And the chapter about that said, if you, you need to keep a thought journal and track what thoughts are happening in your mind, because it's very common that anxiety triggered in your mind by a thought of something going wrong in the future, or a stressful situation will actually trigger the digestive system 
to be, you know, going to chaos and, and start to divert blood, etc. So I started keeping a thought journal. And then literally every time that I had a thought and my stomach started churning, I started going, oh, I'm doing this to myself. It's actually triggered by the way I'm thinking, which is then causing my body to react because the mind doesn't know the difference between an imagination, a thought that's either remembered or created in the future. It still responds the same. Your body thinks it's real. And so I was just really good at creating that response in my body for a while and had to relearn how to do that. And that's kind of what got me in the things that I do now. My God, that is so amazing. Wow. So at that point, where in this part of the story was it where you decided to say, okay, no more weed, no more alcohol? Cool. So the no more weed happened before the no more alcohol. So this was like late teens, early twenties. And I just like actually did a NLP slash hypnotic process. Um, I don't know if some of you listeners have heard of a guy called Tony Robbins. Um, this was a weird happenstance. My mum, back at the time, I know your partner's into music. I used to have a, I used to make some uh, sample old records and do some things like that. So I had a couple of different music things at home and I had a double cassette recorder that you could dub tapes off of. My mum's like, Paul, can you copy these tapes for me? I'm like, okay, whatever. She bought this big box of tapes and empty recordings. And so I was doing the illegal dub for my mum. And I started listening to actually what I was recording for it. And it was this guy called Tony Robbins. And I was like, oh, what's this about? I've heard of this guy, whatever. And what he was saying was actually quite interesting. So I actually copied him for my mum. She never listened to him. I actually ended up listening to him for myself. And on his <laughs> one of his recordings was this process called the Dickens process. And he takes you into two futures, like a hypnotic um, NLP hypnotic technique where you basically see two futures one if you keep doing what you're doing and how bad it really gets it's based on the um you know ghosts of christmas past and that so charles dickens uh, sort of storyline mm. and you see how bad it gets so you decide i don't want to do that ever again and then what happens if you do change what beautiful processes can happen in your life if you let go of these things so i actually did it on smoking weed and literally after that moment, bang, I was done. Never, never mm. wanted to do it again. And mm. literally that was one of the big turning points for me. And I realized how quickly in a 20 minute process, I could go from, I need to do this. This is something that I need in my life. And like I do with my friends, it's an identity, something I, you know, was part of who I was. I identified as a person that, you know, was a weed smoker and hang out with friends that did that to no, nah, that's not me. Never again. And then I'd still hang out with my friends. They'd do it. I wouldn't. I'd have a drink if we were drinking, but I wouldn't even do that again. Um, but the binge drinking actually continued even if, as I became a personal trainer, um, which mm. was kind of even worse as a personal trainer, I think, because a lot of the PTs, they'd work hard, they'd party hard. So we'd get up three o'clock in the morning, four o'clock in the morning, get to the gym, do our first early clients at five o'clock, like work all day, train all day. And then the weekends, um, a lot of those guys, we worked in the city and I was young and a lot of those guys just wanted to go out and have a great, great time. So I wasn't that much of a seasoned drinker, but I tried to keep up. And that was a bad sort of scenario for, you know, feeling really shit, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I worked out pretty quickly that I couldn't keep my job quality up and my training up if I kept that going for too long. So that was short-lived. It was only like a couple of years worth of burst of that. My body was just not going to be able to keep it up. So I was starting to get injured. I was starting to, you know, not want to train anymore and starting to not want to rock up for clients. And those things aren't what, you know, is going to lead to a successful business. So I kind of swung the other way and I actually did the same process on not drinking. And literally I've gone, I don't know the longest stretch, but it's been years and years and years without drinking, but now I'm not yeah. completely against it. Oh, if it's a special occasion, someone's wedding, a family member's birthday, I'll have like one drink, but I, like I don't binge drink at all anymore. And I, I can feel, with full confidence know that I'm fully in control of all of those substances and never need them. And if I ever did want to choose to try them, I could do that without any hangups on it and know that it wouldn't run my life or be something that I'm dependent on, which in my early twenties and my teens and stuff, weed was definitely one of those things. Alcohol wasn't really a dependency, but it was like definitely not very useful in my life in the early years yet. Yeah. Wow. I, so when you did that Dickens process for the, yeah. for the alcohol, did you do that yourself or did you go back and listen to the tape again? I actually did it for myself at that point when I did it for alcohol, because I had actually learned, so the little bit of the story of how I got into doing the NLP and stuff with clients is I realized the power of it for myself. And this is where, when I started changing, stopping smoking weed and, and all that kind of thing, I started thinking, well, what do I actually want to do with my life before I was just doing what everyone else was doing? I was going out drinking. I was going out doing weed. I was getting jobs that my friends got me. Like I was just running off what everyone was doing. And I think for a lot of people, that's an easy way to live. Like you're kind of safe doing what everyone else is doing. But then I started thinking, well, what do I enjoy? What do I love doing? And a lot of it was moving my body. So then I got into 
training and started helping people doing that. And pretty quickly, I realized that most people's blocks were their mental emotional blocks because it didn't matter how many, how much I learned about exercise or nutrition, they'd always sabotage it on the weekend. They'd go out drinking or they'd go out and eat too much. They'd go out, um, even if they did get a good run and they stuck their program and, and their weight loss goals, something would fall apart and they'd go backwards because mm-hmm. a lot of people keep themselves safe by having weight on or you know, it's a protection mechanism. Same thing with drinking, alcohol. They use it as an emotional crutch. They want to change how they feel with some substance, whether it's a food, whether it's a drink, whether it's cigarettes, whether it's anything, right? So I started realizing that I was doing, my clients and I were both working really hard but it was easy for that to fall apart when the mind and emotion weren't in line. So mm-hmm. I started learning how to work with people that way because I realized how powerful it was for me. And so I learned NLP, I learned hypnosis, and I learned a whole heap of other little tools and tricks along the way too. And that's when my PT took to a whole nother level and I became PT of the year for South Australia for, for uh, Fitness First. Yeah. And I started teaching a lot of other trainers. And then I really just leveled up my mindset throughout the journey and started cleaning up anything that was holding me back. So the drinking stuff, the... Um, you know, anything I had blocks around success and money and and what I could do with that. Every time I worked on myself, my business grew, my life changed, had some interesting programming around relationships um, from what I learned growing up. And then every time I've worked on that, I've now you guys, if you've seen Juliet, my beautiful partner, my relationship's fantastic. Like I'm really grateful for what I have. It's very unique. And uh, like, I feel like the more you work on yourself, the better your life scenario can, can be. And so i constantly use the tools that I teach now with people for myself hundred percent of the time. Yeah. Oh my God. You just absolutely hit the nail on the head there in, in saying that the more you work on yourself, the better your life can be. And that is the, I mean, that's the, that's really the gold right there. It's just, it does take some work. If you're going to sit there and, and do nothing, then you'll get nothing. But if you do the work, you know, it's all there for you. It's just, you just have to delve in and it's about making a it. conscious decision. And like what I, I say is people get stuck in, in cycles. And for a lot of people, it's the binge drinking cycle. It's the overeating cycle. It's the emotional cycle that we, we live and we keep creating. It's the early childhood imprinting and programming. Unless we deal with those emotional charges that are unresolved at an unconscious level, we're going to keep creating them and keep creating those triggers to make us want to drink or make us want to eat or make us want to, um, you know, do something that changes how we feel. And, but if we deal with the emotions that are causing that a lot of times, we won't have to cover it up with a substance. And then you start going, okay, cool. Instead of just being on autopilot and in reaction mode, I can actually go into creation mode and start choosing what I want. And you know, whether or not it's better, it depends on the person. Some people you know try different things, get a new job, get a new this, and it might be different. It might not be better because they had great fun doing those things. It's just different, but it's a, a conscious choice. It allows them to move forward and you're going to grow more so than just repeating the same things over and over again. And uh, like for me, I feel like my business is called Evolve and I feel like my one of my purposes in life is to keep evolving, keep taking on new challenges, keep trying new things. And to do that, you need to grow as a person to do that. God, you're incredible. <laughs> That's just amazing. It's just a um, lot of life experience that I, that I didn't get right to, to get where I am today, basically. Like, you know, I bang my head against the wall a lot and I've worked with a lot of clients that have done that too. And so that's taught me a lot, you know, and it, sometimes I'm a slow learner. And just like other people, I've had to do a lot of things a lot of times to, to get it wrong, to then go, okay, enough of this, let's do something different. Yeah, and I think that's the key too, that a lot of people contact me who are like trying to quit alcohol and then yeah. they've done like a great 18-month stint and then they're, they've fallen back off the wagon and yeah. and then they're back on again and, and off and on. And, and it's like I always say to them, it's still a learning. It's just learning. You are still learning and well, learning and uncovering. And especially if you've got a peer group, a reality and identity that's built around drinking you know yeah. for a lot of people it's ha- what you do with your friends what who are you when you don't drink who are you when you don't go out and like i've worked with clients that were running big you know wine meetups and they were the chairman of the wine meetup thing and now they want to stop drinking like what is that going to mean for them and so yeah. it's a relearning almost you have to relearn what it is to be you what it is to be friends without alcohol what it is to be in relationship it's like a lot of partners mm. if your partner's drinking and you're not or you both stop drinking, you knew how to be together when you were drinking, but when you're not drinking, that's a whole new thing. So you definitely, it's a complete, you know, recalibration of who you are as a person and even building a new identity. And that means new behaviors, new, sometimes peer groups and friends. 
and it's a huge transition. So it is really important for sometimes to have people help you through that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes that's, I mean, it seems like a really scary concept, you know, to think I've got to change my whole identity, but really I think that helps you change that belief that you have about yourself. Like you say, those labels that you've created for yourself and uh, Julian, uh, Juliet and I were talking about the same thing where it's, it's literally impossible to really cultivate change unless you can change those beliefs about yourself yeah. and those patterns that we have. Well, Almost. this is, this is, I like what you said about the whole, you know, it can be scary, but the truth is we're changing all the time. And so I want people to realize that our time frame of what we're focused on is too small. A lot of times when we are drinking, smoking, eating, et cetera, we don't feel great and we want to change how we feel. And we play this video on ahead of we're going to feel good if we eat that thing or we drink that thing or we smoke that thing or whatever. That's the short time frame. But if we make the video go longer, we see that it's not going to be all up. It's going to, it's going to come back down. So the truth is it's, it's most of these things are like a temporary kind of fix but your identity and who you are and your beliefs around that, like I always challenge the people I teach and, and, my, and my, my clients to expand their identity because it's useful to expand your identity, then reconstruct it. Because a lot of who we think you are is based on what we were taught growing up. Like even the fact that you're, you know, if I say Danny, you know, that's you, but that's not who you are. You really are. That's a noise that I make to get your attention. Your, our parents were great hypnotists. They made mm-hmm. the same noise over and over again until you responded to that noise. And you know, that's me. That's who I am. That's a label <laughs> yes. and that's useful. Does that make sense? And yeah. so your name is a really useful label, but some labels like I'm an alcoholic, I'm a binge drinker, I'm a, I'm a bad uh, person if I do that, I'm a, I struggle with my emotions. Whatever labels and beliefs we start creating, if we say them enough time or we say them with enough emotion, they become part of who we think we are. But the truth is they're not any more real than anything else we can choose. We just back it up by if we've got an identity where I I have trouble drinking, then we're going to see all the times where we have had trouble and we're going to keep reinforcing that reality because it's part of our deep programming to stay in alignment with who we think we are and who we believe we are. So it's always something that's changeable because your body, we think our body's solid, but our body completely regenerates and reconstructs itself and every cell in your body over the course of seven years is completely different. In a year, I think 97% are re completely different so you're not Mm. even who you were a year ago physically who you are mentally can change quicker than that but we recreate Mm. our mental loops by rerunning those same programming the same thought patterns the same actions the same um you know mental triggers that we we focus on but they're really easy to change and but people don't know that and like i said for me it was like a 20 minute process and that rewired the way i thought about those substances and what i did and for, for the people i work with literally one session you know can really change their life about how they think about themselves. And it is so powerful. And that's why I do it. Cause I just know how quick and easy it can be to change things. But then obviously there's the integration into the world because your mindset's different, your belief system different. You're going to see things different, but then you've got to learn to navigate who am I when these things are different in the world. And that mm-hmm. can be exciting because I know again, with that time horizon that we're viewed on, it can be scary temporarily to think, well, who am I going to be when I'm a different identity Mm. but if you expand that out wow that can be mean anything it means i'm not going to be running that same loop over and over again the same thing every week and the same thing every this it can be very different in six months time it could be great in in five years time it could be even better in 10 years time where i could be doing things completely different and i'd be loving every minute of it and getting healthier every year and feeling more vibrant and having better relationships better it can if you zoom out that way it can be actually really exciting and not scary and it's, it's to have that optimistic view of your future as well, rather than just thinking, oh, no, I'm not going to be able to drink again. Life's going to suck. But mm. if you have this optimistic vision of you in the future and absolutely like expanding it out and really thinking, wow, where can this go and what's possible for me if I get rid of that? It's a different, it's a shift in perspective. And it's, I think it's all about that, the way that the perspective that we have, like it's either we can choose to be feeling like we're really missing out on something and that we're not going to be accepted and all the negatives that come along that we perceive as being negatives to giving something up, or you've got the other option of seeing it as a great gift and how, you know, all the great things that could happen in life if you were to get rid of that. And like, like you say, like with that Dickens thing, okay, who am I, if I don't get rid of that, what does that lead to? So what you said was perfect there because in people's minds, we've got associations to things. So if someone thinks of alcohol now, they're thinking of more pain than more pleasure than pain. So mm-hmm. at the moment, I'm 
that makes me feel great. It's good. But the truth is, it's not all that. But we delete, distort, and generalize reality to our beliefs, to our, our perceptions. So the truth is, if they, they think they're missing out on drinks, they're also missing out on other stuff. Because to drink, you have to exchange money, time, energy. To get the thing, you're going out doing what you're doing, which also misses out. You're miss, missing out on other things. But that's now. What about the next day? What about the next morning? What are you missing out on? What about 10 years' time? What about you know, if you change time horizons or you change the view of how you're perceiving things? The truth is nothing is positive or negative. Everything is neutral and unconditional in the world. But we perceive things as one or the other based on our past experiences, based on what we're told, what we believe. And for a lot of people, they have this really skewed you know, perception of what their substances that they're stuck with are doing for them. And the truth is they have a real like overly positive view on it. And then they have a real negative repercussion because they've seen it too positive. And then that's what starts the addiction cycle. Because when you feel really good and then really bad, it's such a big contrast. Mm. And then you want to not feel really bad, which then makes you go for the really good again. But the truth is when you've balanced it out a bit and you live life somewhere more in the middle, yeah, the highs aren't as extreme, but the lows aren't as low and you don't have to dig yourself out of the lows. And what tends to happen is you, you start moving up to fulfillment versus just changing how you feel. And when you feel mm. fulfilled and you feel grateful and you feel like you're making progress in life, that's way more rewarding than a big night out. And this is like, and some people get weird when I tell them, like I've probably had five or six drinks in the last 15, 20 years. They go, what? And I go, yeah. And I go, I'm not missing anything because my day-to-day life is way more exciting than going out on the weekends. If I ever go out anywhere for someone's party or whatever, I'm like, yeah, I'd rather be at home with my dog and my girlfriend. You know what I mean? It's, it's, that's that's more fulfilling and rewarding to me than a big night out is. And, you know, I can see how people love that and it's great. I'm not taking any away from, any, from anyone that does that because, look, you can have some great life experiences and, you know, there's so many cool things to be had there. But for me, what I value and what's rewarding to me has changed over the years. And I think that's huge for people. And understanding your values will also let people know where they're going to get that rewarding, fulfilling thing that that might help them get out of where they're stuck you know if if you why do you want to stop if you think about what's important to you and they might be your family it might be your career it might be your health could be any of those things they could be the real motivational tool or the inspirational tool to help people make the adjustment and change because when we see that the drinking or the smoking or whatever people are stuck on is affecting what's important to you that's when you want to stop because when you see the thing that's most important to you in life is actually being negatively affected by the drinking, then you'll stop immediately because um, it's your highest important thing. But if you see drinking as actually helping you get what's important to you, then you would probably want to do it. So uh, that's another super important tool that I think a lot of people, when they understand their values, can really, really you know, understand themselves and why they do things and why they don't do things. Yeah, absolutely. There's also this link that I, you know, often talk about, like, firstly, it's like seeing alcohol for what it actually really is, because people, by the time they've come to me for help or to, you know, to other people. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. In this sort of field, um, when they actually want help with something, they're still kind of, they still might be romanticizing it a little bit. Yes. They, they, they see alcohol as their reward. This is, these are the main things I get from people. It's my reward. It gives me confidence. It's my, um, it helps me have fun yeah. and it helps me relax. They're yeah. the sort of four main things that people come at me with, but 
I think when they've got to a level where they're binge drinking so much, they're waking up the next day and they're feeling like completely like there's no self-confidence there. They hate themselves. They're full of anxiety. There's, you know, they're just feeling atrocious and embarrassed and all the things that come along with it and sick, physically sick. Then sort of trying to flip it for people and say, well, where's the reward? Where is that relaxing? Is it truly giving you a good time and like following it through to the end? And then that's where people go, right. <laughs> okay. But still, there still might be a part of them that's still holding on to that belief that it is this good thing. And it's hard. Yeah. I think what you said is fantastic. Um, what, what I sort of do with my hypno students, I teach them a couple of different frameworks and what you've done is fantastic. Cause what you want to do is go, okay, what is the substance doing for you? So whether it's quit smoking, whether it's quit drinking, we get them to go, well, it's for a lot of people, it's the things you said, you know, it's me time, it's the reward, it's um, something that's special for me, it's you know, getting away from everything, it's a break, it's a, and you come up with all the things that they think it's giving them, and then you, what you do is great, you're reframing and helping them break that association, because they do create this world around, well, how am I ever going to feel confident without that? Well, mm-hmm. you know, is that really the thing? Or how am I going to feel um, rewarded? Or how am I ever going to have me time? And so well, that's, that's a way you were getting it, but that's not the only way you're getting it. And then if mm. you see how it's taken away, that's huge. And then I love how you said that people feel like there's a, a part of them that feels like it's missing out. And the truth is neurologically, it almost is like they create a divided self. So um, one of the techniques that we do in the NLP training, but also in the hypnotherapy training is we teach how to integrate parts because uh, people actually feel divided. They feel like well, part of me wants this and part of me wants that. It's like mm. two different parts of the nervous system are fighting against each other. And it actually creates a lot of chaos and split actions because sometimes you can do it, sometimes you can't. So it's almost like you're in conflict and arguing with, with yourself, right? So what we yeah. end up doing is helping them to integrate them. And they realize that whether they, they drink or they don't drink, both parts want the same thing at the highest level. Your, your nervous system has the highest intention for whatever it is. Each person is different. But if we can get them to see that, whether it's drinking or not drinking, they're both going to lead you to the same place. Then they can choose what's appropriate for them in the, in whatever context they're in. And so then it takes away the stress of mm. I'm going to miss out on something because they don't feel like they're ever missing out because they all lead to the same, all, all roads lead to Rome, whether they drink or they don't drink, they're still going to get there. So it actually really gets them to zoom out on themselves and why they do the actions because the actions seem different, drinking and not drinking. Well, that seems different, but what's the purpose or intention of drinking when we ask that question enough, we get to a level where we realize, well, the purpose is for me to, you know, have a fulfilling life or whatever it is at the highest level. Either way, they can both get that. And sometimes I realize that one path is easier or, or going to be more beneficial to them than the other. And so that sometimes mm-hmm. they'll let go of the substance because they know they don't need it to get that thing that, you know, they thought they were getting from it. Yeah, God, absolutely. And, and going back to what you said earlier about just a great night for you is staying at home. I'm the same. Like now I was looking at last weekend, I was home with my kids and we're just here. We had a bowl of popcorn and watching something stupid on Netflix. Mm. And it's kind of been that every weekend I'm just sort of there with the kids. And I never, it's funny, I never have that FOMO anymore. I think it's from just feeling so content in myself from doing a lot of this work that I feel like I'm just so happy within myself. I never really feel like I'm missing out. I don't want to be anywhere else other than where I am in that moment. And it's such a beautiful thing as well to just be happy as you are. It's a The, the opposite of FOMO is JOMO. I don't know if you've heard that one. The joy of missing out. The joy of missing out. I did yeah. hear that. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. So you've got JOMO. <laughs> but the truth is, if I can kind of rewind, when you were going out and drinking, like I don't know how long it was ago, but would it be fair to say what was important to your life was different? Yeah. 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 So your values maybe in that part might have been more around your relationship, might have been more around socializing, might have been more around experience, joy, adventure, something like that. I could hallucinate, right? Um, but now obviously family is a high priority to you and your values are more around family and connection and that kind of thing. You're going to naturally feel more rewarded, more fulfilled doing that than you would going out because now those things aren't as important to you. So this is where when you can identify value or shift your values, it's very Mm. easy to not drink because it's not even important to you anymore to do those things. But if you had like a big family occasion where maybe, you know, your kids get to a certain age and all of a sudden they want to celebrate that, you might want to have a drink with them to celebrate that as a cool thing because it's now linked into your family values. And this is also a trap that people get stuck in is, if you've grown up and your family or whatever's important to you is linked to the substance that you're stuck with, 
like for a lot of clients I work with, you know, drinking or eating or, um, you know, all sorts of interesting things can be linked up together. And mm. if they stop doing it, their family will judge them or they feel like they're rejecting their family. Yeah. Like, you know, for a lot of ethnics and Italians and people that like I've worked with that have similar sort of background to me, they would drink with their family or they eat certain foods. And if they stop doing that, it's like disrespect to the family. So this is where you can have values conflicts that can create those kind of dramas too. But it feels like when you're living in alignment with your values, doing what you want to do on the weekend, you feel pretty good. And that's just hanging around with the kids and you know watching a movie, which is awesome. And this is where I kind of feel like there's no better or worse. It's just what's right for you and your values. And everyone's values are different. So like people won't want my life because they don't want it because it's not important to them. But you know, if some people would rather be out on the weekend because it is important to them. So I can't say it's going to be better, but it would be different. And if you change your values or what's fulfilling to you, you're going to feel great doing whatever you're doing. And that can include not drinking and still feeling fantastic about it. Yeah, absolutely. I think for a lot of people too, we are living out of alignment with our values because there's that push pull and that thing of like, no, I really want to be this way, but I'm behaving in this way. And it causes this, like you say, that chaos, that internal chaos, like, who am I really? Like, what am I fucking doing? And it's so hard. And this comes in with, like I talked about, the early childhood programming, but also the social pressure and your identity, because everyone inherently knows what they would want to be doing. If I gave you unlimited money, unlimited time, what would you do? Most people would pretty good to kind of find some things to do. But we have all the I should, I have to, I must, enforced by the people around us, by, you know, society, to pay the bills, whatever. And sometimes this is why some people do binge drink because they've all their week, they've done whatever the hell everyone else has wanted them to do. And they go, you know what? I'm over that. I just want to do something for me. And because they've been not living things that are fulfilling, they feel so unfulfilled. The only way they can get that big burst of good feeling is to do something like have a real big bender on the weekend. So it's like compensation for not living in values. But when you are living in values, you don't need to have that big bang because you're feeling good like you're going to feel way better most of the time and not need that big pump up to get you through the week or that hump day or the, you know, the weekend to kind of ride it all off with. Yeah, it's totally, it's, and it's that content, that feeling of just like, okay, I'm, I'm enough. Like I'm enough just as I am. If someone rocked up with a bottle of something, you're like, look, I'm fine without it. You know, you don't need it. And some people, they feel they need it because they've just had such a shit week. They need something to get snap it out of them. So that's, that's kind of what happens. So yeah, there's lots of different ways that all sort of manifest for different people, but I think you know they're really important things for people to explore. I think part of I didn't realize what I was doing at the time when I quit. So we've been sober now for three and a half years. Yeah. Part of I was reprogramming myself without actually realizing that it wasn't until I discovered NLP and started reading and researching into that kind of stuff. I'm like, oh, right, that's what I've been doing. So you know, to look at alcohol and feel quite repulsed by it and actually start linking it to those bad feelings rather than it's going to make me feel good. No, no, it's actually going to make me feel like fucking shit. It makes me feel anxious and takes my confidence and all the things that it does. And going back to what I was saying before, like seeing it for what it really truly is, that it's it's not this thing that's giving you this great feeling. It's taking all those great feelings away if it's got to that point for you. So whether you do it, intently with a session to change how you feel about alcohol you've got to change your perception you've got to change your association so there can be the quick and easy or the long road of bouncing around but if someone gets to the point where they stop doing it something's changed internally and this is what i realized with um working with clients through exercise and stuff it when when they bump against themselves for as long as they want to or if we sat down a lot of my, my clients would say they got more of our sit down sessions once a month than they did our actual training sessions for the rest of the month so that's mm-hmm. when I started slowly cutting out the PT and moving just to working with clients on the mindset and, and everything. Because when we changed their perception, I didn't have to follow them around and get them to keep a, a food journal. I didn't have to get them to check if they were going to the gym because they changed how they felt about it. And it actually was you know, easier to do than not do. And it sounded like you did great work in your mind. You got yourself to the point where it has shifted enough that now living the new way was easier than going back to the old way. Mm, yeah absolutely so when you need a big event for that to happen they need to wait till it hits rock bottom to because that's what will happen life will slowly knock you down and try to purposely make you feel bad so you stop doing it alcohol is really great at doing that it it, it Mm. gives you that feeling but a lot of times we don't associate that we think oh it's because you know this is that and also then all the emotions and things that come up or the things you did do or you were trying not to think about start bubbling up and then it's easy to try to wash them away again 
but the body is trying to get you to change your perception. And it sounds like you did a great job of that. And some people need to create really big shit in their life before they do. Like I know people in my friend group and family have lost licenses, had big accidents, done all sorts of things and not learned what their body is trying to show them to stop drinking and stop doing those things. So sometimes people have to really create enough negative emotion to take away the positives so they stop. But some people still don't learn. So No, they still don't. Or or people are still stuck in this thing of that it's their fault. That they're not blaming the alcohol, they're blaming themselves. Oh, I'm just weak. And if I'm going to learn how to just have one drink or Mm -hmm. and they just put all the blame back onto themselves without realizing it's actually the alcohol that's causing all these this chaos in your life away to the the bottle the the bottle has the power and this is something that like i'm really big on with clients too and i'm glad that you you're aware of it is to take ownership and power for doing not blame but Mm. responsibility you're able to respond you're able to choose whether or not you're doing it not give that thing or that person even people in your life well johnny makes me mad well no he doesn't johnny does things and you respond that way alcohol doesn't make you happy you know you drink the alcohol and then your body responds in a certain way. Your body is actually what's creating the response. The fluid is just a, a something you're, you're putting into it. You could eat a burrito, you could do whatever, and it would still do something with the interaction of your body. But like you said, you could have a drink and feel repulsed by it because of your perception. It's not the actual drink itself. Mm. So it's really, if you give your power away, then it's very easy to start you know, blaming the outside world. But when you take ownership of your power, then you actually can do something about it, which mm. is really one of the first steps. Yeah, incredible. So if you were working with someone, say someone came to you and said, Paul, I really want to quit alcohol, would you tend to steer them more towards a hypnotherapy type thing or would you be more the neuro-linguistic programming? Well, for me, they're the same thing. And this is what's right. funny for people. I teach the training separate because they can be taught separate. And some of the tools, all the tools from NLP actually mostly originate from hypnotherapy. There's some tools in it that originate from other styles of therapy because NLP is basically go out and see what was working and then create structures based on what the therapists were doing to get results and give you different frameworks. So if you went and did this framework, it would help someone get that result. That's what NLP is in a nutshell. It's called like modeling excellence. They find out who was the best therapist. What did they do? What did they say? How did they structure it? Cool. If I did that, I get the same result. Mm. Whereas hypnotherapy, there's lots of styles of it too. So I don't want to say it's for, for all the different styles, but hypnotherapy is, um, using language, using suggestion, using um, you know altered states to help people to access their unconscious mind and to help them to shift underlying emotions, uh, to change beliefs. But you also do that with NLP as well. So for me, I use a combo. Um, I teach things separate, but they are sort of similar. So some people like the hypnotherapy approach because it's a bit more unconscious and flowy. The NLP approach is a bit more direct and a bit more structured, really good, more coaching versus therapy, but they can be once you, I do both. So I don't say one's different, but when I teach them, it's easy to separate them. But I I really always start with asking questions. Like I want to understand as much as I can. I don't start chopping trees down until I, I see what's there. You know, I used to be actually in my, before I got into PT, I was studying sheet metal fabricator. And one of the things we learned was measure twice, cut once. So I'd always want to know exactly what's going on. And so I could go have the problem that you have. And if I, if I don't understand it and I couldn't just walk out the door and do exactly what you're doing and understand why you're doing it and have the same problem as you, I'm not ready to start doing work with you. So I would want to understand you, the people I'm working with so well that I can understand where the, where it started, why it started, what are the emotions that trigger it? What are the beliefs? What are your values? Why do you do the thing to do? Why do you feel bad about it? Why do you feel good about it? And kind of survey the area. And once I can really understand it and go, if that was happening to me, I would do that to you 100%. Cool. Then we start working on shifting things. And for me, like I used to do a lot of once-off sessions with people. So I used to specialize in the quit smoking, quit drinking in one session with just hypno. I would just do that. But what I learned pretty quickly was I would help people stop drinking or stop smoking but I wouldn't necessarily help them to have their life sorted. So mm. this was a good example. I'd work with someone, I'd ask questions, I'd start doing the, the work for quit smoking or for stop drinking. And that I'd been in a session, never want to smoke, never want to drink again. But what I had uncovered during the session was they hated their job, their relationship was shit, they had a lot of trauma from their childhood. And I go, look, I'd recommend, because that was some of the reasons why they were drinking or smoking, because they had mm. never dealt with those emotions. They'd go home, mm. hate their fucking job, want to 
knock the stress away on drinking something, you know, and this, this is just how, and I was like, okay, cool. And then I was like, let's book another session, and do that. And I go, let me go see how I go, blah, blah. I hear from him in a couple of months time, still not smoking, still not drinking. Cool. Do you want to book another session? No, I'm all right. And I realized I was only helping people deal with the surface thing. And then I was mm-hmm. like, okay, cool. I'm going to work with people to help them do the whole thing. So if someone does work with me as a one-on-one client, I normally have a commitment of at least six sessions so we can help them clear out a lot of emotional stuff. And then actually towards the end of the session, help them to, like we sort of talked about, design their life so they're living in line with their values. And if they're not drinking and not smoking, who are they now? What are they doing? And that's not a one session thing. For me, that's a over time. So the, the six sessions normally go for 12 weeks. And over three months, we kind of then can help them re, reconstruct themselves as a person and recreate their life around who they are now without those things, um, which mm. I learned over working with people over a short period of times that I wasn't necessarily helping make people make the transition. Uh, and there's still ways, to, some of my students still do once-off sessions because people want it. So I get calls at least, I'd say four a month of people that still want to do a quit smoking or a quit drinking from referrals from people that I did years ago. So I stopped doing the once-off sessions probably five or six years ago, but I still get people like last week I had one guy who's like, hey, 10 years ago, my friend saw you for quit smoking. Can I book in a session? And I go, yep, cool. Here's one of my students. So I refer out for those. Um, so I still teach how to do it and still offer it. But for me, I, I'm really selective with my one-on-one clients now. And I only work with people that really want to sort their whole life out, not just the surface level um, thing that they're using as a Band-Aid to cover up how they feel kind of thing. There's so much more to it anyway i i really believe that it's not just okay rip the band rip off the band-aid of alcohol and just think it's all going to be sorted there's just so many levels i think that need to be dealt with so much cultivation of self-love and re-establishing your confidence and and healing trauma and things like that that need to be dealt with to really truly deal with the actual problem also so it doesn't manifest in another you know another habit yeah yeah they just swap their alcohol for a you know, bags of chips or something instead. Yeah. So I think that's great. And I think, you know, from my chat, I feel like you do a lot of great stuff. Um, yeah. From my personal background of just doing the once off session or just cleaning up the thing, like it has its place. And some people just want to stop drinking. And they're happy with that. Their life's pretty good. You know, some mm. people just want to stop smoking and their life's pretty good. And so there is a place for that. But for me, one-on-one, I've got limited availability anyway, because I'm teaching so much and I'm working with a pretty much full book of clients already. So I'm very selective, but my students, can work with people like just the one the one soft session but i do recommend to dig deep and do all those other things that you talked about as well because you will it'll make it easier and it make it yeah. easier to last so it's not just a six-month thing so it's not just a 12-month thing it's actually you're living your life on your terms and then it's easy to stick to because there's nothing like you don't feel like you're missing anything yeah i find that too with people that that do relapse it's like well what are you missing like what's not been dealt with or mm. I was talking to a friend of mine she's been on this podcast a few times and she's she's doing the AA program as well but she says to if you don't she's found with her and when she's has had relapse it's when she stopped doing that work when she stopped digging deep and sometimes it's like you know you're digging and you think you found it and that's good for a while but you've got to keep digging because there's always more and there's always layers, more you can yeah. learn layers. yeah and what happens over time I think initially people are like there's a negative or scary connotation to doing personal development work or shifting emotions or uncovering why you are the way you are. Um, <laughs> and so people are a bit scared of that to start with. But after a while, I kind of explain it this way. When, when I was a kid, um, I used to get scared at night and I used to think there was a monster in my room. And my mum would walk in, turn the light on, and there'd be no monster. So I, I call it the shadow monsters, right? So a lot of people are afraid of things that they think are real scary, but when you turn the light on, they transform. And a lot of our traumas, a lot of our things that we have that, that are scary, when we actually learn from them and they're actually giving us gifts and they actually can turn back from a monster to something that's light and that makes us feel energized and can actually be transformative. So I use a quote from a guy called Joseph Campbell and his quote is, the cave you fear to enter holds the treasures you seek. Mm. So for a lot of people, uh, my clients, my students, I'm like, okay, let's go into that cave. Let's find the treasure and use that treasure because what's treasure? It's like you can use treasure to buy things, energy. You can transform the energy to now get what you want. So we're just taking that energy and we're using it now in the future to transform what? Because if we don't, that energy is stuck. And another easy way I explain this is imagine like you're, you've got an emotional bank account. And if you've got lots of emotions stuck in the past, that's been on negative. So it's like a bad investment. 
it's going to pay off in the future as bad stuff. So we're going to, need to go back, take that emotional energy back and then reinvest it in now and in the future, the things we actually want to energize because unhealed emotions are like tabs open on your computer. They're stealing your, your space in your mind and they keep popping up to remind you that they're open until you deal with them. And if you close them, you now got more space in your head, more energy in your body to run smoothly and do new things. So we need to take the energy back and transform it to actually turn it into something new. And mm. it actually becomes exciting. So like I call it treasure hunting, you know, finding new things. When, when I'm stuck in life and I'm banging my head against the wall, I go, cool, I'm about to learn something new about myself. It's going to help me get to the next level. And you actually get excited to go treasure hunting uh, when you when you get comfortable doing that personal development work and it still can be scary at times but you know it's going to usually benefit you in your life and show you a whole nother mm. level of what you can do it's like a child like with kids i've got two girls and when they were young just before they're about to have a big breakthrough like they're either going to their vocab was about to expand or they're about to start to learn to walk or to crawl or any kind of uh, developmental stage they're going through right before it, there was always this resistance and this like, or this carry on. And then they got through it and they, you know, they got, and then they're like smooth sailing for a while. And it's like that with us, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Precedes higher levels of order. So Mm. in the nervous system, like in terms of movement, I love how it's called developmental because movement actually our mind is like, has grows better through movement and our actually movement development actually helps precede our psychological development. So different phase locks of crawling and uh, reaching and moving different arms and legs and how we radiate different parts of our spine and, and rotate all are linked to different psychological development. So it's all really important. People that skip stages of crawling or whatever can also skip stages of mental development. So developmental, but in our nervous system, we actually, create chaos and then we get a new level of order so we have frustration and disorder to a certain point so confusion and frustration they're signs of learning but you need to get confused enough and enough uh chaos so frustrated enough because then it sends off because confusion and frustration have a certain kind of neurochemistry about them and that actually creates more wanting to get it because you want to want to feel like that so you want to get the answer like if you're like a kid trying to fit a thing and they get really annoyed about it, really annoyed about it. And they want to get it. And once they get it, they get a real release of like you know, all the special chemicals like dopamine and serotonin that feel great for solving that problem. And then they now understand it. It's a new level of order. So now that mm. movement task is now easy because they've, they know how to beat that. And now it's now, okay, cool. And you get that real sense of achievement as well. And the same mm. thing happens with any area of life, but, um, and it's important to remember as an adult, because as a kid, we just do it and we don't, we don't have all that inner story. But as an adult, when things start getting hard and challenging, we can build up a whole story around it. But it's important to remember that that's vital. So I teach all my students in the courses that frustration and confusion are just preceding higher learning. And those first stages where you're kind of wobbly with a technique or you don't really understand it, you just need to do it enough until it clicks and then bang, you've got a whole new level of neurology and it's mm. actually easier to, to operate from there. And that's especially with the transition from drinking people are going to sometimes be frustrated and feel a bit confused because now they're relearning how to walk almost they're relearning how to be as a person mm-hmm. and so be gentle with themselves and like treat themselves like they're learning how to, to, to get their first step they just keep going till they get it right and when they do they're going to have that big breakthrough and then they have a whole new way of operating which it's so cool that you notice that in, in your children as well because that's as adults we kind of unlearn that and we kind of whenever we feel that frustration or that um, you know, confusion, we kind of shut down versus keep going. And that's kind of the key. Yeah. It's like, you've got to push through it. And I'd say that to anyone, like when the hard stuff comes and it always comes, especially yeah. when you're not masking things with alcohol and drugs anymore, yeah. just push through, push through because you are going to have a breakthrough. I know Tony Robbins says he loves overwhelm because overwhelm means a breakthrough. Yes. And it's so true, isn't it? Like, it's just, that's how and it I love that you said, because when people have just been living their life with the drinking or whatever to, to mask everything, the, the wave's going to come back in. And we talked about surfing before we started, like, okay, the wave of the real emotion underneath the alcohol is going to come through. Oh, great. They're going to have to learn to surf. They're going to have to learn to deal with that emotional wave because then, you know, next time it comes, they know how to handle that even better. And life's going to keep bringing them to you. And as they deal with them, they'll be able to surf bigger waves. They'll be able to handle bigger things. They'll be able to do all those things. And, um, I love that you're you know, teaching your client those things because as, as your clients realize that life's going to keep bringing them new challenges. It never stops. You just get different challenges. For some people, 
the, the challenge is to have a kid and then they have a kid and they go, okay, well, that's cool. I've got that challenge. Now I have two kids and then I have another. Kid. And so the level of challenge gets bigger for some people. It's, you know, I'm running uh, a business or maybe I want two businesses. Some people it's, so people are going to usually challenge themselves to a new level once they've mastered a challenge and not more isn't always better, but we're going to get challenges. And if we choose the challenges we get, that's even better because uh, some people, they're not really choosing it. They're just like we talked about earlier, just repeating the same cycles when they make a conscious decision to stop drinking, then they're going to start facing what's underneath all that stuff. And then they can start choosing new. Maybe they don't want to surf. Maybe they want to do this instead. And they can go challenge themselves in that area and take on music. Or maybe they want to develop themselves in terms of starting a business or doing a podcast or something like that, which as they challenge themselves in a new way, they'll grow and they'll feel those sense of breakthroughs versus just always bumping up against the shit that's going on in the background because they weren't living a conscious life and just letting their unconscious stuff bubble up. Totally. It's just so important to grow and to keep growing and, and look and saying, you know, this to everyone, like knowing that when you are going through the hard stuff, just keep on at it. Like we just said, and you know, that there is this beautiful, beautiful breakthrough just about to happen for you as well. So just keep on going and you'll be okay. Before the breakthrough, like you kind of said, but like it is, it is worth it. And look, what else are we going to be doing? It's sometimes nice to have something different. And if you're always going through the same level, and it can be scary, or the idea of having to break down before a breakthrough, whatever, most people yeah. are just stuck in the breakdown and they never break through. They're just the same loop. Yeah. So it's just a little bit extra. And guess what? It's fun. It's different. Most people have played computer games. What's it like to be stuck on the same level all the time? Crap, boring, right? Boring. Yeah, yeah. You want to get to that next level of life and try a new challenge. Yeah. And that's all it's going to be. It's just like that. It's just a new level. It's going to be different. You're going to have to learn some new things, but it'll be more fun doing new things and it will be just the same over and over again. Yeah, absolutely. If you can hear um, the dog barking, that's my puppy being really naughty outside. So That's cool. Apologies. I thought my dog was probably gone in the background. Juliet <laughs> had done a bit of online shopping recently, so I thought another package was getting delivered. So <laughs> Mine's just like, let me in, let me in. Um, awesome, Paul. Well, we'll have to wrap up soon, but you ha- do have some awesome courses coming up. Um, you've got stuff coming up in the Sunshine Coast and in Perth, and you've got some online courses coming up, which I'll post in the show notes. Awesome, yeah. And also details for people if they wanted to get in contact with you. Yeah, cool. We've got tons of things. and We're, we're obviously doing a little bit more online um, because of how the things that have happened the last couple of years over the world. Um, there are some like short courses that we have available, like the one-day self-hypnosis, but also full practitioner courses as well if people want to learn how to actually dive deep and work on yourself because the trainings will help you be a coach but also you're going to get huge personal transformation i believe all the trainings really will give you a huge shift and so you can know how powerful it is to use tools but then you'll most people naturally want to share them with other people and actually you know take it on as another income and have a a little side hustle and for some people become their full-time thing and and actually go out and coach and do therapy with people Uh, that's what i love to do i can't find anything more rewarding to spend my time doing but some people really love that too and i'd love to help people to learn that if they want to but um i've really enjoyed today thank you so much for having me on um thank you for coming on yeah thank you um just i've got two more questions for you though before you go what would be any book if you could recommend any book what would it be like a self-help book talking about okay so um, this is just because it's recent and on my mind. I've just dived back into Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Um, oh, yeah. Classic. Classic. Um, I read it a long time ago, listened to audio a long time ago, and I've just started teaching a business mastermind for some of my students, and I just wanted to re-immerse myself in some of the classics. And that was one of our – we send them a book each quarter to dive into, and that was one we're sending them, so I just wanted to like really surround myself with it. And so I've listened to the audio about five times in a row again and listened, read the book one more time in a row. And it's so well written. It just takes you on the journey of like a child learning from two different adults and learning all different ways they think about money. But it's not just money, it's life in general and the mindset around you know, being closed, being stuck or expanding and challenging yourself and just seeing how it kind of becomes a combination of both of them. And it yeah. really gives insight to childhood programming into how you think and feel. And I think the game of money is a game that we're all playing if we want to be or not. And it is yeah. worth mastering. Um, yeah. so it's a real classic. And it just popped in my head because literally I've just been, I was listening to it when I was doing a workout just before this call. So it was fresh on my mind. Classic. That's yeah. awesome. Okay. And if you could go back and give, you know, 18 year old Paul some advice, what would that be? Just keep evolving. Like it's challenging at the time. And, you know, where you think where you are is you're going to be stuck there forever, but you're not. And it's worth it. 
keep evolving, keep learning, keep growing. Everything that you learn grows you as a person. Every time you work on yourself, it grows you as a person and it helps you help others and just keep doing that. Because I think at the time as an 18 year old, I thought I was going to be stuck there forever. I thought it was going to be a downward spiral all the way down. And I felt like that at times and it does, it does get better. It does change. You know, mm. you're not going to always be stuck there. Just keep like, just learning was the biggest tool for me. Like the more I learn about myself and about the body, the mind, the more my life changed because it just showed me what was possible. And I really think that's possible for anyone. That's why I teach. Cause I feel like everyone needs to know that kind of stuff. Yeah. That's such great advice. That's amazing. Um, that's, this has just been fantastic. You are such an inspiring human and I can't wait to meet you in person and jump in on one of your trainings one day. Cool. Thank you so much. I've loved this and I love what you're doing. This is fantastic for getting information out there. Thank you so much for having me on. Awesome. Thanks Paul. See ya. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.